0: he's hilarious he's just so you can't teach someone screen presence and he's such a kind of simpsons character in real life like he's just (laughs) i've never seen anyone quite like him on screen
1: that's writer toby harvard he wrote the greasy strangler and co-created tropical cocktails starring my friend carl solomon in this episode recorded in June of 2020, Carl and I catch up since the coronavirus pandemic began and when this show started airing. Carl messaged me and said there's something he left out of his life, namely being incarcerated. Hey, Carl, how's it going? Welcome back.
2: Oh, thanks, uh, because this was part five.
1: <laughs> yeah well uh it's been quite an adventure so far talking to you and and playing that on the air and uh yeah i I had a conversation recently with uh with a mutual friend of ours, uh toby Harvard a guy, one of the guys who wrote the greasy Strangler the mo- one of the movies you were in Yes, yeah, he loves you, Carl. He had a lot of great things to say about you
2: that is so great because uh, I, I was just thinking about him the other day. I was thinking about if I had to go to the UK I just just as a visit or or for potential work, uh, if there's a 14-day uh, quarantine period, I could stay at his house. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sure you could. <laughs> well, uh, he said that you inspired the movie The Greasy Strangler. Did you know that? Uh, yes. That's wild! You didn't tell me that during our recording that you inspired the actual whole I, the no. I, did, movie. I
2: actually, um, I, I I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, with you know, like Toby never actually you know told me that.
1: Okay, here's writer Toby Harvard on Carl. Absolutely incredible hearing that a line from Carl muttered during their short film inspired the Greasy Strangler movie.
0: Carl is incredible. Uh, me and Jim who directed Greasy Strangler and Cocktails. We this was years ago, probably about ten years ago, we made a short film in LA and we were casting it. And it's about father and son on this hiking trip in the woods and you know yeah. hate each other. They don't get on very well. And we were trying to cast the dad and we just couldn't we weren't seeing anyone interesting. He was supposed to be this very kind of belligerent, kind of rude, dismissive, kind of a bully. And I think all the actors we were looking at were playing it very kind of, I think maybe a little bit too stern and mean. They were almost like kind of drill sergeant types. And then Carl suddenly comes along and he really reminded us of Elliot Gould. Do you know him? Yeah. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) He was kind of like this fried up Elliot Gould. (laughs) He had this amazing voice. So we cast him in that. And... We actually wanted, originally, we wanted Greasy Strangler to start him as the Strangler. There's a line in Crabs where he's talking about how much he loves to have these kind of long, hot baths.
2: It's great to be in the country, in the woods. City's too greasy.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean.
2: Recently, I've been indulging in these long, hot baths. Oh, right. Lots of salt, hotter than you could handle. I bet. Long hot baths.
0: I have all these long hot baths. The city's just so greasy. <laughs> and the way he said that, it just became such an in joke with me and Jim. It's like everything, oh, greasy. It's so greasy. And that's how we came up with the idea why don't we do a thing where Carl plays someone greasy? Like maybe even a Greasy Strangler. Wow. Just the way he said it, there was something so sort of intriguing about it. And so, yeah, originally we wanted him to play the Strangler and it didn't kind of work out in the end, but we made up for it with Cocktails, where we basically, I mean, he's kind of the star. But when it came to Cocktails, again, like he was going to play quite a small part. And then we kind of turned up on the set and he was just so funny. We just started adding him in every scene. He wasn't a in and just giving him a lot of lines, and and, you know he loved it. He was laughing; it It was amazing. It was really, it was quite magical to see because he's been around for so long, kind of working. Yeah, this was the first time he had like pages of dialogue, and he was the lead, and he was the star. He really kind of it was quite moving to see him kind of just embrace it. It was really, it it was very sweet. He's hilarious. He's just yeah. so you can't teach someone screen presence. And he's such a kind of, I mean, what's the word? He's just, he's like a Simpsons character in real life. Like, he's just, <laughs> I've never seen anyone quite like him on screen. He's just a complete, you know, he's a real fine.
1: How's the quarantine treating you so far? Or, uh, you know, the whole, the entire situation?
2: There's in, in the incense out of big depression. Uh, um, there was one week in which uh, two two bad news through the, uh, you know, events took place. Um, uh, Bernie called it quits. He decided, I mean, in other words, he said, it's all yours, Joe, uh, which, you know, really pissed me off. And, you know, and at the same time, uh, one of the greatest songwriters in music history passed away, John Prime. And music is the key that what heals you, and you need music to deal with this coronavirus you really do. And oh, I wanted to mention this plug uh, before I forget because today another uh, another Jim Hosking blockbuster is released on Netflix, starring me. Well, I have you know, dialogue in three scenes uh, and that is. An evening with Beverly Luff uh, I'm the the owner of the laundromat, and I'm confronted by Jermaine Clements. The final scene, uh, it's the at the end of the movie where Jermaine uh, uh, Clement and uh, Aubrey Plaza are you know slow dancing with each other and doing these other like dances to this one song that's appeared in a lot of movies. And I can't remember the name of it. And I'm because even though I'm the one that's playing it because um, I'm Valerie grills, the DJ and Jim provided me with these grills. Yeah. some some of the, uh, the DJs are really flamboyant and they have all these props with them and grills is one of them, you know, these funny, you know, looking, you know, teeth, Um, I guess they went to a designer dentist Or something to get those, you know, grills implanted. So, yes, you you got to see this movie.
1: And so this was recorded right after Bernie Sanders dropped out of the 2020 U.S. presidential race. This gets kind of political, but Carl's not making it up. And there's a link for reference in the show notes. And uh, Carl, you messaged about uh, a part that you kind of left out. Um, and, uh, and you wanted to, to add to it and you felt like you needed to add it and you were, it, it came right after that Bernie announcement. Did it not?
2: Yes. Um, yes, it, it was, um, it was affiliated with it. And the thing is like, and it goes against, uh, the majority, you know, of my, you know, friends, you know, and fans, you know, in the country who like have this saying, Vote blue, no matter who. But suppose the person that is blue is responsible for incarcerating you. And that was the whole thing Be, um, before uh, 94 When I, in part three, the different strokes, um, part three and and how in um, my uh, experiences with you, which is um, part four. And in part three was the part where I left out and would not want to say what the bad thing that happened in 94 and 95 was. But apparently in order to, um, you know, there were like periods where, you know, I had a bout of homelessness, I would say between, you know, 88 and uh, 94, and it was really bad. And, um, you want to thank, you know, all my Chicago friends who convinced me to, you know, to move to Chicago, um, you know, to live with them, you know, during that, you know, bad time in my life. And I fell in love with that city. But the thing is whenever I would come back to the Bay area, which is, you know, my love. Um, and I mean, I see, um, that looks like San Francisco in the background behind you.
1: That's right. It is. Yeah.
2: Oh, what a small world. I mean, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it was, um, I could not find, um, a place to live in my beloved, uh, Bay area at all. We all, you know, got, you know, we all, you know, moved out of the zoo. Yeah. So I, you know, explained in, um, episode three, except for you know, like Chicago, which I was able to get pizza delivery gigs everywhere. Well, yeah, I I did not have a really great life in the Bay Area from 88 to 94 during that period. So the thing is uh, to keep myself alive and to prevent myself from being homeless. um, I found a product that you could get in the Bay Area, you know, for thirty five dollars and convert it to five hundred dollars. It was illegal, but there's something there's there's something that overrules the legality of whether drugs should be legal or not. And that is the law of supply and demand. People demanded doses. So I supplied it. And um, unfortunately, uh, there are snitches. And if, you know, somebody who I supplied it to got caught, they, they would not even hesitate. They would snitch you out. So uh, I got busted in 94, um, July, um, yeah, July 1st, 94. And I uh, got released um, around Halloween, 95. Um, It was 18 months and it would have been longer. There were like four, and I'm going to like reiterate, there were four drug laws. If you Google mandatory minimum and Joe Biden you will discover there were four uh, drug laws, and even though they did not mention LSD and um, the musical entities that that endorsed it, you know you would find that you know Joe Biden wrote these four dr- drug laws. It was mostly uh, geared towards uh, blacks and uh, minorities uh, rather than music lovers, uh, but still. The music lovers, uh, well, um, you know, got um, I was able to get 18 months, but uh, a lot of the music lovers got 10 to life. Yeah. And uh, they owe it all to Joe Biden. Now, in 94, Joe, I really gave credit to Clinton, uh, but there was something called safety valve and wanted to read more about it. So when I said the safety valve instead of bill clinton's name coming up it was joe biden again um, he realized his mistake by you know these long sentences so he said um according to google uh that if you uh, if you were a first-time offender and had no weapons you they would not sentence you by the mandatory minimums so as a result and i had no priors um I got, you know, the 18 months, but the majority of people like Mushroom Bob, um, they got life. And I would say the majority of the irony of it all, of it was in um, the the, the, the last, the last December and January of before um, Obama left office, Obama uh, pardoned, if not, if most, if not all, of the music lovers, and um, also the minorities of those mandatory minimum sentences. So uh, Mushroom Bob and all those music lovers are free, and of course, the majority of people um, that were incarcerated by the mandatory minimum, you know, laws were obviously you know blacks and um, Hispanics, and, you know, and I noticed that the first day I was in there, I was the only white. So there was an an unfair incarceration of minorities in this country. And they got one person to thank Joe Biden. And I hate to bring that up. And I know people that say vote blue, no matter who, um, or, you know, probably going to be mad at me at this podcast, but I got to speak up.
1: So you're still saying, you're saying don't vote for Joe though.
2: Yes. Yes. Um, Hopefully, something will happen.
1: Uh, You mean Bernie will return somehow?
2: You know, Joe. Maybe you know the convention comes in um, in August. Yeah, and um, somebody says, Joe, you're dementia. Um, Maybe we should go with somebody else.
1: Yeah, Uh, if you're if you're comparing uh, mental capacities, they're
2: too too fascist. (laughs) Yeah, but you can't fascist running for president.
1: Yeah, well, yeah,
2: and, and the thing is he has to apologize. You know, Joe has to, to, you know, win me over. He has to apologize to the, you know, the the people on the music scene and, um, you know, and foremost, you know, you know, the, you know, the blacks and Hispanics, especially what's going on right now with, you know, the pig shootings of, you know, black people, that's been um, the main thing in the news um, this past uh, month and it keeps on going on no matter what.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, no matter how many people demonstrate uh, pigs are shooting them right. over like really like frivolous stuff, like falling asleep in your car, you know, and you, you don't, for one thing, if you're drunk and you're asleep in your car, you can't get a DUI because you did not drive at all. So um, he shouldn't have gotten arrested in the first place. The last victim hmm. of, of, you know, the pig shootings, what? it's, it's kind of ridiculous. So the thing is the person that, um, uh, people, I guess cause they're lesser up to evils. Yeah. But it's, it, I can't forgive Joe for incarcerating me. That's the thing. Even though he had it reduced to 18 months, there were still a lot of people that got lifetime convictions for a small amount of drugs. Yeah. But it wasn't but really his, course his, on, his, fault. Um, his son. Yeah. Well, yes, Uh, you got to Google it. Yeah. You got to Google Joe Biden and um, the mandatory minimums.
1: Yeah. What was prison like?
2: Um, It was, um, I got, you know, like uh, mostly um, shit from my, you know, fellow white inmates. Um, I got along with, um, you know, the blacks. Uh, There were only a few. I was like in a, um, what do you call it? Uh, Half of the time, because I wasn't given any bail. Um, you know, the prosecutor kept on saying risk of flight, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, some of those murderous cops got bail. So I, I wasn't, you know, given any bail because of the risk of flight thing. The judge wanted me to go um, get bail. She was really good to me, but the prosecutor was a complete ass. And, you know, he even you know, like mentioned, um, you know, in court, you uh, that, you know, I've been to a Grateful Dead show myself. You know, just do you know, make you know, you believe that he's cool or something like that. Um, so I, you know, so I um, half of it was waiting for the trial and the sentencing, and then once I uh, once I, and it was like in Fairton, a medium what they call it, an FCI, Federal Correctional Institute, um, in um, New Jersey, because the case was in um, the way people get tried is where the uh, snitches are located, you know, geographical area where the snitches were located, they were in Philadelphia, but there was, you know, like, um, one in, um, Wisconsin too. And so they were going to, um, what happened is I, I pled guilty for what I did in Philadelphia and they would drop the Wisconsin charge. So, and then I got 18 months. And after the sentence, which was January of, um, Ninety-five. Uh, um, I spent just spent just the rest of it in um, um, Lompoc, which is uh, you might have heard of it. It's um, north of um, you know, Santa Barbara, but it was the farm. It was I mean, or the camp, the prison camp. There's like three categories: uh, the penitentiary, the um, the FCI, and the um, the camp. So I was in the camp, um, which is the lesser of three evils. There was one building, um, one luxurious building where one of the, um, the Watergate, um, you know, know, people, I think Alderman or Er 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 Ehrlichman or Halderman, they lived there. You know, it was the the Ehrlichman or Halderman suite. And so, um, yeah, I was there and then um, got released. It was, it was, um, what was even like, well, partially brutal was um, the five years of supervised relief. And I want to, um, uh, big kudos to the, um, the Curzan family, you know, Mike and Karen for, uh, you know, like by saying that they, they would put me up, um, if I could get released to Reno, Nevada. So I was like for four years, I lived in Reno and I went to, um, I went to school again to take paralegal courses. Cause I loved reading those court cases in the library. There was a lot, uh, you know, um, because the paper that the you know, the doses were on was added weight, and there were court cases about three court cases, and I knew some of the people in the court cases that um, got their uh, sentences reduced because the paper should not been have been weighed, mm-hmm. just the liquid liquid portion.
1: So then you resume life um, in um, Reno. um I, yeah. I, uh,
2: and then uh, then I had um, you know, during those four years, um, you know, I was. Uh, doing the dishes. I was a, a combination of dishwasher and, you know, pizza d- uh, delivery for Little Caesars, um, you know, th- during that time. And I was going to school at Truckee Meadows Community College, taking the paralegal courses. And what I didn't like are uh, those piss tests uh, for um, weed, uh, even though I still was puffing.
1: How'd you beat and those? So I, I
2: beat the tests anyway, but I really can't say <laughs> how. Because I don't want it to, you know, the um, the piss test administrator, you know, to get in trouble. But <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, uh, even though I couldn't find him on Facebook, right? um
1: uh, Well, so, did, uh, did you ever get into, into any fights in prison? Uh,
2: I I I think one with uh, somebody who was in there for steroids, and, and that was it. And that was in like the the holding area that it was in for, uh, six months. Um, Oh yeah. I think I had, you know, minor stuff. Um, not, not the stuff that you hear about in, you know, film and TV. And I didn't get cornhold or anything like that, you know, which, you know, this, you know, the biggest fear.
1: Right. Um, but is it you, so you got into a fight with a guy who was in there with steroids?
2: Yes. At, uh, Fairton, uh, the thing is, he uh, he uh, he went into my cell and he gathered my notes with ad- addresses on it and ripped them up and, fl- and flushed it down the toilet. And then, like, he did it while it was gone and said, like, do something about it. And I couldn't. Uh, or, you know, thre- yeah, thre- he threatened me and everything. I mean, because he was, like, really muscle-bound and everything. But, um, yeah, there was... Um, I, at least one, you know, inmate there who was there for a legal, uh, st- st- uh steroid distribution. And he worked at a gym and that's, it, it was just like that, uh, Mark Wahlberg movie, when he's a gym owner. Oh yeah. And he gets these people together to commit crimes. <laughs> right. And they beat up uh, Tony Shalhoub. Do you remember
1: that movie? Yeah. Pain and Gain, uh, I think.
2: Yes. <laughs> that's pretty good. I just saw that recently. that's why I'm saying it, yeah, yeah, it was a good movie. It was like the Mark Wahlberg character yeah
1: <laughs> tell me more about how you got into prison
2: oh the way I um, mailed the sheets in that that's what a hundred hundred doses was called a sheet oh okay um, the way I mailed it in it was between baseball cards, oh yeah, and there mean- was one and there was one baseball player around that time um in the eighties and his name was Larry sheets. So it would, you know, my friend would help me collect uh, baseball cards of Larry sheets. And I would stick it between the baseball cards, you know, bearing his name. And then you uh, mail them to people. Yes. That's what the distribution was mailing. Oh, so that's a federal I mean, met charge. Shows, I see. And, um, but one was, you know, a lover, um, of mine who I really trusted because, um, she, the bands trusted her. Uh, she would um hang out backstage, she was always invited backstage to concerts, so I was envious of her. Um, but I was really, um, real very, very disillusioned with the entire counterculture movement as a result of the experience that I that occurred with me because there was a saying, um, as Wavy Gravy said at Woodstock in 1969. Solidarity with our brothers and sisters. And um, I really, uh, and that was beyond the wardrobe and the hair and the drug usage. There was supposed to be a solidarity, you know, if you wanted to become part of the counterculture lifestyle. But I learned the hard way that it basically is the same as the shirt and tie world, every man for himself. And it was very uh, narcissistic, you know. Word that's usually described, you know, against our, you know, on our president. And so it was like the counterculture movement was it had that narcissistic, you know, quality to it. Hence, you know, the the, the rampant uh, snitching that went on, you know, at musical events or, you know, people that you trusted and everything. How I got, you know, caught. Um, it's is um kind of hilarious uh, they said they had a you know the dea said they had a commercial for me they knew i was in the screen actors guild and uh, they said it was a sad franchise you know because you know i would not do you know unless it was okay with the union i would not you know work on it and so i believed them and i had them meet me at the rehearsal studio i was living on the uh, visadero street in san francisco if you know where that is I I go outside the door and they, I I ask to come inside the car. Uh, we'll take you to, um, the, the studio. And then they stop somewhere. And, um, and then they, uh, and then there's two other cars loads and they're all DEA agents and they arrest me and give me, um, the, um, indictment with, um, with the name of the snitch on it because they have to, uh, for discovery reasons. Yeah. That's legalese. Um, uh, they have to um tell you um you know who snitched on you. And then they started singing that song, zippy do da, zippy-dye. Do you remember that song? Yeah. And, and because like my nickname was Zippy. Right. So um that's how they picked me up and um arrested me. Wow, that's crazy. Yes. And the thing is, I had no idea the um yeah, the DEA was looking for me because I did get pulled over in '94 because I was visiting um, a friend of mine who was working uh, on in the Fontana Dam area of North Carolina on this Jodie Foster flop called Nell. Do you remember that movie? I sure Where's do. Raised by wolves. Yeah. Well, well, my friend was um, the second AD there, and um, I visited him and everything, but the police thought I was stalking. Jodie Foster, <laughs> because Jody's really, you know, scared of that. Oh, yeah. So I got, you know, so I showed him my ID and I said, oh, that's my friend's car. I'm, you know, I'm driving and no problem. And so because of that, I didn't think um, anybody was looking for me, but they had to wait until the the indictment came in June and um, they uh, decided on July 1st to come and arrest me. July 1st, 1994.
1: And Zippity Duda was in reference to your nickname.
2: Yes, yes. Zippy.: Yes, yes. Um, then I had to pay like, a, you know like a, something like a $5,000 fine. And my lawyer told me the prosecutor kicked the table when the judge gave me 18 months. Really? Instead of like 10 years, we wanted like 10.
1: Wow, Thanks to Carl for being so open and sharing. We will be back with more from Carl soon.